Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Welcome back to Euronet Plus Panorama. Almost a year after the Fit for 55 package was presented by the Commission, the other institutions are just on the point of getting down to negotiations. Identifying a common position among member states proved painful in places. Let's take a look at what was agreed. In the early hours of Wednesday the 29th of June, and in the final hours of the French Presidency, Member States' Environment Ministers succeeded in reaching a common position on the Emissions Trading Scheme, or ETS, the Social Climate Fund, a deforestation regulation and the CO2 emission standards for new cars and vans. All the texts passed by qualified majority. One of the most delicate issues was the detail surrounding the Social Climate Fund, aimed at supporting those households most affected by the revised ETS. Another sensitive issue was the deadline by which all new vehicles in the EU should be emissions-free. Ultimately, Member States backed the Commission's proposal to ban CO2-emitting cars from 2035 onwards, although some governments had hoped to push this back to 2040. While Member States were in broad agreement on emission standards, divisions emerged over the issue of combustion engines, as Spain's S-Radio reports. Berlin, suffering from internal divisions, proposed an 11th-hour amendment stipulating that only vehicles using quote-unquote neutral fuels could be registered after a given date, thus leaving the door open to traditional engines running on synthetic carbon-neutral fuels. The German proposal was applauded by several other countries, including Italy and Hungary, which are keen to avoid tying the automobile industry to electric technology alone. Speaking at the Council, Italy's Ecological Transition Minister, Roberto Cingolani, expressed satisfaction with the outcome. Radio 24 shares his comments. We have made clear on several occasions what is needed to make the proposal acceptable for us. Reach technology neutrality by the use of carbon-neutral fuels, or if you want, non-fossile renewable fuels, also after 2035. We have to say we're very satisfied about the uh, amendment proposed by Germany. This goes in the direction that we hope. Deploy a progressive phase-out of internal combustion engine for vans with a proper technology slope for heavy-duty vehicles. Third, considering specific derogation for small builders. Luxembourg's Environment Minister, Joelle Welfring, told 100.7 that she would have preferred to set an earlier date, 2030, to end the use of combustion engines, as this would have helped Luxembourg to meet its ambitious national emissions reduction targets. For us, it would have been good to set an earlier date than 2035. The stakes are high for us, and 2040 would have been much too late. You have to be aware that cars put on the market up until this date will stay on the road for several more years. They will generate extra emissions that will strain our national balance. On the other hand, Poland has officially voiced its opposition to preventing the sale of new combustion cars after 2035. On Monday, the 27th of June, EU energy ministers also reached a compromise on two energy package proposals, namely the texts on energy efficiency and renewable energy. This means that negotiations can now begin with the Parliament. 
The compromise raises the binding targets for the use of advanced biofuels and biogas in the transport sector to at least 0.2% in 2022, 1% in 2025 and 4.4% in 2030, so doubling the figures in the Commission's proposal. In an interview with Polski Radio, Polish People's Party MP Marek Sawicki said that it was also time for the Polish state to invest in modern energy sources, especially biogas and wind farms, as, he says, energy obtained in this way is cheaper than that produced from coal. The Christian Democrat noted that one-third of Poland's recovery fund money is earmarked for environmental protection and will go towards the country's energy transformation. He also explained that although it will cost some 120 billion Polish zloty to build 6,000 biogas plants, this investment will soon pay for itself. In just the first year after constructing these biogas plants, there will be savings of at least 45 billion Polish zlotys on emissions trading scheme fees. In terms of of prices and costs when it comes to renewable energy from biogas, we could have about 60 billion in the course of the next year. So an investment of 120 billion actually pays for itself in one year instead of over three to five years, and it can be built in the next five years because the funds are there for that. In the current context of spiraling inflation, energy ministers also considered possible ways of mitigating sky-high energy prices. Our radio stations have also been looking at the various options. Vitautas Snieszka, an economist at Lithuania's Vitautas Magnus University, told Ginu Radias that a temporary cut in energy taxes of the type recently proposed by President Biden in the US would prove to be such a drop in the ocean that it would be pointless. I don't think this will solve anything because the world is now, to put it bluntly, in a state of economic war. If a few years ago we had a global economy with more or less free trade in energy goods, it is now falling apart, leading to soaring prices for essential goods such as fertilizers. And this is not going to change anytime soon. It still takes time for buyers to switch to new supply sources. This topic was also discussed during a Bulgarian national radio interview with Nicholas Schmidt, the commissioner responsible for jobs and social rights, on Saturday the 25th of June. Commissioner Schmidt disagrees with the Lithuanian economist, suggesting that the bloc's 2023 budget should consider, among a series of other measures, providing funds to support citizens in battling inflation. The second one is about uh, mitigating for especially low-income households uh, uh, the impact. And I think here uh, it's about uh, supporting these households uh, either by uh, acting on uh, on the price of energy, uh, capping energy prices, some member states try to do that. Uh, anyway, I think we have to accelerate our energy mix in the direction of uh, less fossil fuels, especially coming from Russia, but in general terms and investing a lot and massively and rapidly into uh, renewables. So I think that you have to have a, a whole uh, bunch of measures, uh, some very short time and some which have, will have an impact uh, more in the medium. In a week of successful negotiations at the EU level, 
RTBF talks to Willem van der Voorde, the Belgian ambassador to the EU, about the challenges of finding compromise between multiple delegations, albeit in a slightly different context. Van der Voorde notes that the greater the crisis, the more the various delegations agree that the European Union offers significant added value. Entre 27 États membres, il y a toutes sortes de, disons, de stakeholders avec des opinions différentes. Donc, c'est en se parlant, en s'échangeant. Between 27 member states, there are all sorts of visions from stakeholders with different opinions. So, we get there by talking to one another, by exchanging information, by asking for informed opinion from the Commission, and through our shared will to reach an agreement. Because we all share a strong conviction that we will always go much further together than alone. We need to have this political will to forge compromises, and the greater the challenge, the stronger the conviction that cooperation within the EU offers best added value in the defense of our interests, and our interests are in fact the interests of our citizens and our companies. And above all, in times of crisis, whether in the face of the Russian threat or, for example, a pandemic or competitive pressures from third countries, from the East, there is a realization that it is together that we can make our interests prevail and protect our people. Meanwhile, sticking with the theme of Stronger Together, 57 MEPs penned a joint letter to the EU High Representative Josep Borrell on the 16th of June. The letter comes in response to a draft bill submitted to the Russian state Duma aiming to repeal Russia's recognition of Lithuania as a sovereign state. Should this bill be passed, the signatories call on the EU to sever diplomatic relations with Russia. Estonian MEP Riho Teras, one of the instigators of this joint action, told Kuku Radio that since Russia is refusing to engage in dialogue, we need to use language that Moscow cannot fail to understand. Terras acknowledges that, while there is a large consensus in the European Parliament that openly opposes Russia's recent actions against Ukraine, there are a number of MEPs who have made reference to receiving Russian financial backing. Kuku Radio asks the EPP member how such support is even possible. I think it is a kind of party support structure, support for parties that are clearly divisive, hostile to Europe. I don't think anyone gets cash in an envelope. In Austria, for example, it has become clear how this funding works, in France too, and the Russians do not rest on their laurels. Those who are useful to Russia are supported in various ways, directly and financially. I have no proof, but there are indications that these parties have been supported. On Thursday, the 30th of June, France passed the baton of the EU Council presidency onto the Czech Republic. Jenny Raflik, history professor at the University of Nantes, provides French broadcaster Euradio with her assessment of France's achievements over the past six months. There were certainly disappointments, concedes Raflik. Emmanuel Macron's reform of the Schengen area, for example, did not go anywhere. And France's ambitions regarding relations with the African continent suffered from the open crisis between the French and Malian governments. 
This said, there has also been progress, or rather hopes of progress, notably hampered by the war in Ukraine. The EU is now obliged to review its energy policy. The 27 have dithered on this issue for many years. Now they have their backs to the wall. The whole of Europe's energy policy must be rethought. Of course, it is regrettable that the 27 have waited until this point to address the issue, but we can only hope that something positive will come out of it. Another indirect effect is that, as a result of the war, Europeans have been made aware of certain European issues. The media coverage of the conflict made it possible to get to know certain actors in European political life, such as Ursula von der Leyen and Charles Michel, and thus also the roles they perform. European summits were covered by the media in a way that was rarely seen before, and Ukraine's application to join the EU prompted numerous articles on the mechanics of European enlargement. And with that, we close this edition of Euronet Plus Panorama. Do come back next week for more news from around the network.